0: Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's Yoma class. So this is our fifth of five classes on Masachat Yoma. And as I said from the beginning, because of the way this was set up with five, you know, 20-minute shirin, this was not intended to be um, comprehensive or even specifically consequential, but to give you a window into the earliest uh, rabbinic material on the holiday that's coming up. And we spent uh, about three and a half of the weeks focusing on early Mishnah from the first chapter that dealt with the Kohen Gadol and dealt with some of the, the culture of the Kohen Gadol and, this, and the culture of that that office. And then we skipped to the beginning of the eighth chapter, which is the last ch- chapter of Mesecha Yoma, to deal with um Basics, but to go deeper into the basics. So um, we're going to be ending with that today. um, And it might demystify for you, uh, if you haven't studied this material before, not only which are the things that are prohibited on Yom Kippur, but what is the distinction between them halachically and why they are specifically prohibited. Okay, so we, we looked at the Mishnah last week, but I want to read it through quickly because we're going to be discussing it. So uh, I want you to have the text fresh in your mind. Yom Yom you're prohibited from eating and drinking. That's considered one thing. It's two words, but it's one of the five things. And washing yourself, right, according to Halacha, except for you know, basic sanitary washing. We do not um, bathe on Yom Kippur. Uve anointing, understood usually to be anointing with oil. There's actually a question in the later Alachic sources whether or not you're supposed to be putting on deodorant on Yom Kippur, or if that's considered our version of uh, anointing with oil. Uven ilata sandal, wearing sandals, or some understood to be wearing leather shoes. Uve hamita, marital intimacy. But the king and the bride are allowed to wash their faces. V'hachaya tinola tasandal. And the uh, birthing mother, or as we said last week, some people read this for some reason to be the midwife, can wear such comfortable sandals. Divrei Rabbi Eliezer, that's according to Rabbi Eliezer, Bechachamim Osrin. The sages are more stringent. Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer is more lenient. The question is, is the machloka between them on all of the leniencies or just um, or just the last one? And Bartonora, the Italian stage, if you look at the last thing, that he wrote uh, on this Mishnah that we read last week, the very Rabbi Eliezer Akulhukai. All these words, of Rabbi Eliezer, on, are on all of these leniencies. Amelach the meaning there's a disagreement between Rabbi Eliezer and the sages, and all of them. K Rabbi Eliezer. The the law goes to Rabbi Eliezer, which means that we real we rule halachically leniently in those three cases. Okay, that's where we took off, um, picked off last week. Now I want to look at some other commentaries that help. Uh, break down this very—it's an informative Mishnah, but like classical Mishnaic text, it's very terse, right? The Mishnah, one of the reasons why the uh, Talmud has the Gemara is that there were hundreds of years of conversations on each Mishnah because the Mishnah is written in extremely um, restrained language without giving all of the um, all of the extra information or even the background information. Okay, so this is the Rambam. The Maimonides, the Rambam, wrote a commentary on the Mishnah. In some ways, people consider this to be his most impressive work, even though it's not his most famous work, right? His two most famous works are his Mishnah Torah, his code of Jewish law, also called the Yad HaHazakah, the strong hand. It's called Yad HaHazakah because Yad, the gematria of Yad is 14, Yud Dalet, and there were 14 sections of his of his book. And the other book that is, is most famous for the Morena Bluchim, the Guide for the Perplexed, his philosophical treatise. What's particularly impressive about his commentary on the Mishnah is it's a commentary on the Mishnah refracted through the entire Talmudic canon. I think he wrote it at age 21 or something. So what's impressive about it is how comprehensive and voluminous his knowledge was as such a young man. Okay, so he's going to explain how these things got to be what's prohibited in the Torah because. I'm sure you know your Parshat Emor and your Parshat Pinchas uh, pretty well, where Yom Kippur is mentioned. There's no sandal mentioned, there's no oil mentioned, there's no, even no eating or drinking mentioned. In fact, there's really just one word that's mentioned, and that's what we're going to go into. The Rambam says it straight out. The Torah never prohibited these things. So here's the Mishnah with the authority of the rabbi saying, you can't do these five things on, Sh- on, Sh- on, Yom Kippur. And you, the reader, the Rambam is saying, probably already know the Torah never says so, right? It's a version of, you know, whether or not you can use two different, two separate dishwashers for Kashrut. The, the, the Torah did not mention dishwashers, right? And the Torah did not mention um, um, uh, engines in a car. The Torah mentioned don't do labor, and lo, Do not ignite any flame. So a lot of our halachic material is a mountain hanging on a thread, right? And the thread here is very, very thin because the Torah does not mention anything about these five things. But if you count up the five different places with well, the basic obligation of Yom Kippur, which is ta'anu et nafsho techem, although that is said in several different ways, to afflict yourselves. It is written five times. Some of you who know a little bit about the laws of Kashrut know that how many times something is mentioned also impacts what things are prohibited in Kashrut. So, lo tevashel g'di chalevi mo. you may not boil a kid in its mother's milk, it is written, mentioned three times in the Torah. Those exact words. The rabbis in the Midrash understood that to mean that there are three prohibitions regarding milk and meat. You can't cook them together. You, even if they're not related to each other, you cannot eat them if someone else cooked them, nor may you derive any benefit from them. Meaning if you happen to own a cheeseburger, according to halakha, someone gives it to you, you can't sell it and make a profit on it. You can't even make, derive any benefit from the mixture of milk and meat, which, by the way, is not the case for just trape animals. If I own a pig farm, I'm allowed to derive benefit from it. I can't derive benefit from a cheeseburger farm, but I'm fine. So. Okay. The Torah, the Torah says here, the Rambam says here that there are five places where inui, this affliction, is mentioned. I'm not going to go through each of them in their own sight, but you can see them. It says in the 23rd chapter of Ayikra, Shabbat Shabbaton, the Sabbath of Sabbath, that, that phrase Shabbat Shabbaton appears also in the 16th chapter of Ayikra. In Bamidbar chapter 21, 29, this is Parshat Pinchas, Uve Asor Lachodesh, later on in that verse, it says the word Ta'anu. In Vayikra 23, this is Parshat Emor, and also Vayikra 16, Vayitazot Lachem, um, this is Parshat Acharei So there are five places where Yom Kippur is referenced, and even though the Rambam in this commentary doesn't include the part of the verse that has the word Inui, that's what he's saying. Okay. Uva'aha Kabbalah. This is a really interesting language. Kabbalah means the received tradition. It's this amorphous reference to... rabbinic received tradition sometimes represented in the Mishnah itself sometimes represented just in the the chain of of transmission of rabbinic law but it came down through received tradition the rabbis understood that these five mentionings of Inui were coming to prohibit five things related to bodily pleasure right just kind of pause your thinking for a second in some ways, what we do, living rabbinic Jewish lives, is very chutzpahdik if we believe that the Torah came from God word for word at Sinai. Um, Heschel goes into this a little bit in his masterful book, uh, um, Torah Min Hashamayim* Heavenly Torah, where he basically discusses the different midrashic approaches to Rabbi, uh, from Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva. On some level, you can imagine midrashic expansion of the Torah's text to be a, a, um, a love gesture. I love this material so much. I want to squeeze every possible meaning out of it. I don't want to just not do the things that I maybe don't have to do. I mean, that I certainly don't have to do. I want to not do the things that I maybe don't have to do. On some level, you can read expansive midrashic um, treatment of the Torah text as being disrespectful to the Torah. The Torah didn't tell you to do this. Right. So this whole notion of a received Kabbalah is how our spiritual ancestors treated the Torah. And it's still an ongoing question as to whether or not we're right. Right. Or the Karaites are right. Right. What are the Karaites not doing Yom Kippur? They don't afflict themselves. They're not because that's all the Torah says to do. The the rabbinic received tradition says that they came to um, prohibit these five things that relate to bodily um, uh, pleasure. What are they? Haim. Achilab eating and drinking. Richit b'mayim, maim, washing yourself in water. Sicha bashemen, anointing yourself in oil. Nilata sandal, wearing some kind of a comfortable sandal or shoe. Betashmi shamita, marital intimacy. Uva bechol achat me'elu ha milot milad milat inui. The, the Rambah makes reference to something but doesn't make it explicit. We're going to read it explicitly in a following commentary that each of these five things, somewhere in biblical texts, there is an attachment with the word inui, affliction, and eating and drinking. There's an attachment from the word inui to anointing. And we're going to have to go searching through the text to find them. The Ramam does not include them here. They're all hinted at. Asmachtot are like, um, it's from the root, some, um, um, smicha, to like, um, to, 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 to cover something or to be hooked onto something. These are just kind of little, hints that the, that the Bible left us for us to, us to uncover, suggesting that because the Torah used the word Inui five times regarding Yom Kippur, there are five thingies that are related to it. And if you look hard enough, you can find them. The Ikar isurim Isuram Kabbalah. But the primary way in which these things are prohibited are Kabbalah. What he means by that is, I, the Rambam, really want you to know that the Torah doesn't really prohibit you from doing it. Rabbinic received tradition, I'm going to be somewhat punchy. Guesswork, prohibits you from doing it. But the Torah doesn't. If the primary um, prohibition is one of Rabbinic received tradition, which means it's a lower category of prohibition. The Chulan makat mardut, which means if you do any of these things, you're quote-unquote only liable for lashes of rebelliousness. That's the punishment you would get if you violated a Rabbinic um, prohibition, as opposed to a Torah-based prohibition. Right? It's not particularly pr- pleasant, but it's far better than the prohibition for violating certain Torah-based prohibitions. The zehu inyan umram asur. That's what we mean when we use the word asur. They are prohibited, but they're they're lowercase p-prohibited, not capital p-prohibited. except for eating and drinking. Shehu chayav if you eat or drink a Kippur, that's considered the primary self-affliction. And if you eat one of those, you're of karate, You're obligated for the punishment of karate. We could spend a whole semester on what being of karate means. But basically, it, it was the rabbi's understanding that it meant that you were cut off from the people of Israel. Your soul was cut off for now and evermore. It was considered even a worse punishment than, wait for it, uh, mitat beid the, the court executing you. Because if the court executed you, like, for violating Shabbat in public, at least your soul had a connection to the Jewish people on Haba If you were Chayef Karait, it was God essentially executing you, and you you never had a connection with the Jewish people in the world to come. If you eat the right amount, a Kazayet, of, um, intentionally, of, of water or food, then, um, or actually it's a different amount, it's a, it's, it's a, Kazayet is a, Solid measurement, the liquid measurement is different, then you're, obli- then you're obligated for karit. Okay, that's the Rambam. Now, we look at Ikartos for We looked at him last week also. This is Rabbi of Litman Heller, who lived in Krakow in the 16th century, and, we, and I, I, um, I only I, uh, edited this a little bit, because I knew we wouldn't have a lot of time. He shares with us some of the ways you can connect. Remember that wild goose chase that Rambam referenced? Inui. How do we connect Inui affliction with these five things? The Ikartos for gives us the compass points to them. when it comes to eating and drinking. inui minalan. Where in our tradition do we have a reference to eating and drinking in um, connecting it to the concept of inui? Ketiv hacha, it says here, Vayikra 16, that verse from Aharimot, um, ta'anu. Uchtiv Vayari Okay, what is that context? Second, where am I? Okay, so this is Parshat um, Akev and verse 3. Well, let's go back to verse 2. The Zacharta Kohaderach, this is um, God anticipating what the Israelites' experience is going to be in the when they get to the land of Canaan, you're gonna remember the that whole pathway. I or that I, your God, or maybe Moshe is, it's in Moshe's voice, um, brought you forward. for 40 years. Oops. Um Bar in the desert, in order to Afflict you a little bit, and to test you. To see whether or not you really had it inside of you to follow God's commands. God afflicted you and he made you hungry. So in that verse, we're connecting inui, affliction, and ra'av, reish, bet hunger, God created a hunger for you in the desert so that God could provide for you the man. Ah, we have a connection between affliction and not eating and there, or, or needing to eat. And therefore, according to the Tosfa, where's my poor text? That is the proof text that suggests that eating and drinking is the first primary way in which you afflict yourself in Yom Kippur. Uh, down to this line, Shema mina. learn from that, that hunger is a sort of affliction. Sicha, I skipped a few. Where do we know that, um, anointing, uh, is affliction? I wanted to include this one because it's very infrequent that we go to the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel for a halachic source. Book of Daniel may be the least, you know, studied book in the, in the Torah, particularly in the original because it's in very, very hard, uh, ancient Aramaic. Aramaic much more hard to understand than Talmudic Aramaic. So let's look at the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verses 3 and 12. Okay. So Daniel is um, is uh, in the in the king's court, and look at him reminiscing. Verse three: Lechem chamudot lo I didn't eat any pleasant bread during this time. lo ba and, and uh, flesh and wine did not come onto my mouth. Anyway, some of Daniel is written in Hebrew, but a lot of it is also written in Aramaic. lo and I didn't anoint. Until those whole three weeks were finished. That's verse 3. If you go down to verse 12. And then he said to me, Do not, do not be afraid. From the very first day that you gave your heart to me. To understand. It's translated here as to humble oneself. But what is the root of lehit Inui. Afflict. So in the 10th chapter of Daniel, his self-memory of not eating and not drinking wine and not anointing oneself is described later on as a version of self-affliction. Therefore, as a Tosot Yom Toh says, um, and it says later on, um, there, that, that not anointing yourself is considered a self-affliction. The last one, Teshva uh, Yom Tov, that Rashe uh, Teva, that uh, acronym, three lines from the bottom where my cursor is, Tashmish Hamita. It's that wonderful euphemism, using the bed, right? Marital intimacy. How do we know that marital intimacy is considered an affliction? A really interesting source. It's a it's a story you might know, but you never thought of it this way. Chapter 31 of Breshit, verse 50. This is the very end of... Um, Uh, of the the, uh, encounter between Yaakov and Lavan, the end of Parshad Bayetzei, and they make a pact that allows Yaakov to go back to the land of Canaan with Rachel and Leah. And look at what Lavan says, and and, and notice what's interesting here. We're learning halachic language about a prohibition on our most solemn day from something that a non-Jew, Lavan, says to Yaakov, right? This is why it's an asmachta, Rambam's language. The Torah doesn't really say this. It's, it's a hint. It's a, it's, a, it's a maybe. From Laban, we're going to learn that we can't have sex on Yom Kippur. Yeah. If you afflict my daughter, that's that verb, Inuit. And you take other wives on my daughters. What does it mean to take another wife on, on, on my daughters? Meaning if you marry again and bring more women into your bed, if you're using your bed with other women, that's considered a violation of what you and I have discussed, and therefore we can understand that being intimate with a woman is considered um, in, in, in the category of inui. But notice how it's 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 a jump on a jump. The 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 affliction here is to to Laban or to his daughters, not that the act of sexual intercourse is in a, of itself an affliction to the people doing it. It's an it's an affliction. These to be the promise that Jacob is making, and still it's it's close enough. We've got sex, we've got inui in the same category, and I'm I'm saying this smilingly. That is enough in, in this chain of Kabbalah to prohibit all of you married folks out there to be intimate with your spouses on Yom Kippur, right? And it's very it's a very serious. There's no serious halachic Jew who wouldn't consider that to be prohibited on Yom Kippur, right? The source of it is extremely obscure and, um, and, uh, and disconnected from shot. Okay. That's the cart. We're almost done. I know we're almost at eight thirty. I want to read one more with you. Yachin Rabbi, um, Israel Lipschitz, uh, who was, um, the, the, the rabbi in Abedin and Danzig amongst many places places. And he writes a, uh, a, uh, a wonderful commentary in the Mishnah called Yachin Uboaz, represent, representing two pillars in Solomon's temple. One focuses on Pshat and one focuses on a, on a deeper meaning. So, this is from Yachin. So, this is his simpler commentary on this Mishnah of Yoma. On the word Hachaya, that birthing mother who's allowed to wear sandals. Kol Shloshim Yom Achar Leida. She's allowed to um, wear them all 30 days after she's given birth. The hu'adin, same is true. Kol anyone who's sick. Afilu mutar. Even if you're not sick dangerously, you're allowed. You might have heard at some point, you know, in your life, that if somebody, um, if, if if there's a concern about whether or not you violate um, one of these one of these uh, one of these rules, you listen to the doctor before you listen to the rabbi, or the rabbi yields to the doctor. If you're feeling that prohibiting yourself from these comforts is going to make you a little bit sick, or because you're sick, it's going to be even more oppressive for you, even a little bit, even if it's not dangerously sick, such that you're close to dying, we are, we are lenient. Uh, I saw that your hand is up, Stevie, hold on one second. The hekilu be'elu, and they were lenient with these, because, going back to what the Rambam said, we might have asmachtot and ramazim, little hints and hooks for the other, other ones, but it's really just eating and drinking. That is considered prohibited directly from the Torah, although I'm going to add in, even there, it seems like an asmachta. The Torah does not say you may not eat or drink. We just understand that the primary uh, um, thing that we're learning out of all of these connections between Inui and the prohibitions are eating and drinking. And on the other ones, the ones that were not from the Midoraita, but not from the Torah, the rabbis did not... Decree, meaning they did not decree that you had to be extra special, careful about it. That's according to the Rosh, um, uh, the uh, medieval um, halachist. Um, Ularan, according to Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim of Garonda, kulan asurim Adiraita, he takes a more stringent approach. All of these five against the Rambam, against Maimonides, are prohibited directly from the Torah, right? And to understand why someone w- would say that, it's not that he doesn't know the Torah and that he thinks that the things are mentioned explicitly in the Torah. There are plenty of things that are considered asur midoraita, prohibited from, with Torah authority, even though they're not mentioned explicitly in the Torah because some rabbinic midrash was understood to be actually uncovering what the Torah intended, which is different than back-connecting prohibitions to what the Torah might have been talking about. So Rabbeinu Nisim says, no, those five things, they really were intended by biblical sources, and therefore they are prohibited on that level. But since they are not mentioned explicitly, their, their authority is from the Torah, but since they're not mentioned explicitly, the tradition passed it down to the sages that it's okay to be lenient upon them when the time is when, when 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 you need to. This is the last text I wanted to teach you. I want to see if you have any questions. And but I wanted you to pull out from this is first of all, if you look at with a with a, with even a bit of a microscope at any sub um any subcategory of Jewish law of halakha, you're going to find this kind of a treasure map, right? That the 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 number of pages on my shelf in my office that are dedicated to halachic practice are hundreds of times longer than the number of pages I have of, of Torah and, and, and Bible text directly, right? We live a you know, a, a rabbinic tradition that some people uh, think of it like, like entropy, where everything is always kind of growing in a system. It, it's very hard to contract rabbinic law. It's constantly growing. And even when it comes to the basic things that you have known from childhood that one ought not do on Yom Kippur, these are linkages that the rabbis found by looking uh, for connections with one and two words here and there, and then have that have endured over thousands of years as the way we observe Yom Kippur even to this day. Um, so let me see. There were um, – um, who had a question? Steve, you had a question. You still there? Stevie, I'm unmuting you. Oh, you unmuted yourself, and then I muted you. Sorry. You got to unmute again. There you go. Okay. Um, just the on the sex one, it doesn't seem to me like that far of a stretch that if Yaakov had taken another wife, then he would presumably be spending some nights not with his previous wives. And so, if he's not having sex with, you know, Rachel or Leah, then he's afflicting them, and therefore affliction and lack of sex seem to be. Related. It it, just, it doesn't seem like a big stretch, but it's not—not not a critical yeah. point. Uh, no, that's a good point. That's a nice read. You're saying that—that that the, that the halachic read of what Laban is saying is that if you afflict my wives by withholding sex from them, as opposed to if you afflict my wives by having sex with someone else—is that how you're reading it? Yeah. Uh, that actually might be what was intended. Good. That—that's that, I—I accept that—that um, that gloss, right? That the the affliction is is um, is holding back intimacy from them. Therefore, miniyah, you know, preventing yourself from from intimacy is considered an affliction. And therefore, it's one of the things we do in Yom Kippur. Great, I accept that. Um, This is not ending with a crescendo, right? Because we're not, we didn't study all eight chapters of Yom Kippur. But I wanted to give you a window into um, some of the things that were present when the uh, temple stood and the high priests were the ones who were actually living out the Yom Kippur uh, rules. And I wanted to give you some background into why the five things that I would imagine all of you are going to be holding back from about 20 days from now, uh, what might be some of the reasons that you'd be doing it um, and, uh, and, and, how, and how we got to that particular list of prohibitions. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.